This episode of The Challengers is brought to you by the Amazon original series, Tell Me Your Secrets. What if your daughter went missing and you knew who took her? In this psychological thriller, I play Mary, a mother obsessed with finding her missing daughter. Mary discovers that her daughter was last seen alive with a serial killer. And that killer's girlfriend, Emma, is now in witness protection. Mary is determined to hunt Emma down and get answers. From the executive producer of The Undoing and Big Little Lies, watch Tell Me Your Secrets, premiering February 19th on Amazon Prime Video. Hello, and welcome to The Challengers. I'm Amy Brenneman. This week on the podcast, we're joined by John Forte, a recording artist and member of the popular 90s hip-hop group, Fuji's. John joins me on the show to talk about an event in his life that ended with him spending seven years in federal prison. Starting things off, we're going to dive into his early career in the music industry and his work with the Fugees. Thanks for listening. Here's what I know. Mm-hmm. You go to Exeter, mm-hmm. you go to NYU, mm-hmm. you are a musician. I was always. You were always musician. Were you always creating and composing? I I was always creating. You were always creating. Whether I was, I was painting, I was photographing, but I felt like I had to make a choice. Right? We're talking about, you know, um, we're talking about when you did one thing. This was a time when you when you grew up to be something, not a series of you know acts that we, we we're now accustomed right. to right where you, you can just, just awesome. wear, wear a bunch of, that's everything right yeah. it, but but back then yeah. it was what are you going to be when you grow up and, uh, so it wasn't until i dropped out of nyu and and fully immersed myself in the in the music scene thereafter you know when i was home that that i i, I knew i was going to make that commitment to music and even then, I didn't know that it was going to be as an artist or producer because I, my right. entry into the music industry was as a director of A&R. I was a 19-year-old working at an uh, independent underground record company in Tribeca and, 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 and tasked to go out and, and, and find our, our roster, our, our artists. Um, you're you know. working in this position. You're coming into contact with amazing people. Mm-hmm. You you run into the people that you, the Fuji cohorts or that. There's a there's a, a you run into a, <laughs> there's a dear friend of a dear friend, um, J- Jeff Burrows. I have to give him his props. Jeff Burrows. Um, he was working at Sony. We were hanging out in his roommate's place. Uh, Jessica. Uh, Jessica Rosenblum, uh, and she was like my manager when I was. It, it, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole it, thing. It, yeah, yeah, a whole, whole, whole thing, whole thing yeah. going on. Well, anyway, Jeff comes in with the VHS tape, and he runs in. And he's like, "This is the future of music," and it's a. It, he pops it in, and it's a black and white video of two guys and a girl, jumping around, dancing around. another sound of that die. And I was just like, was, "They got a lot of energy." I knew that. I knew that they had a lot of energy. But the future of music. <laughs> so he said, well, you don't believe me? They're, they're playing tonight at the supper club. Here, you know, I'm going to put your name on the list. I want you to, I want you to show up. So I, I arrived at the supper club. And I walked in. And I saw, these, I saw the stage. And I saw these instruments on the stage. And I said to the bouncer, hey, yo. I said, I'm here for a hip-hop show. <laughs> What's this? And he's like, oh, you know, you're in the right place. 
that was so radical to me to actually see instruments on stage for a hip-hop show. No, I, I'm used to seeing a DJ turntable and maybe oh, three microphone stands. Right. That, that's a, that's hip-hop. Right. I was blown away that night seeing Wyclef play the guitar and seeing his cousin Jerry play bass and seeing a drummer drum and the DJ DJ and Lauren Hill sing and them to put it all together. I waited on the on the meet and greet line after their performance. I stood online to, to, to shake their hands to meet them. And Lauren and I got into a conversation on, on that, just in that moment. And we spoke for, you know, seven to 10 minutes, which is a lot to speak to. And a meet and greet line, as, yeah, you, yeah. as you know, we just, we really, really hit it off. Um, and we became friends and we stayed in contact. And it was to Lauren's credit that she, you know, Lauren did not allow me to hang up my creative hat and to hmm. and the, to to be a, a a professional music man, like to 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 be to I don't, don't want to say to settle, but to be happy with being the director of A and R because we were having conversations. She 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 knew that when my artist left. I stayed in the studio and I was still making beats. She knew that when, mm. when, when, when they were going home, I was still writing my raps that I wasn't sharing with them, but I was sharing with, sharing with her. And so when yeah. they got the opportunity to, um, to make another album with Sony, she said, I think you should come to the studio and play some of this music that you've been playing for me, for, mm. the, for, for the rest of the guys. They need to, they should hear this. And, um, and I was like, "What are you kidding me? Like, I'm, I'm the director of A and R. I'm, I'm, I'm do, I'm, I'm busy. You know, I'm 19. Right? I'm, I'm busy here." And uh, she's like, "No, no. Why don't you, why don't you come out?" And it didn't take much. You know, um, I, I, I was out there and I started playing the music, and, and then I started rapping over the music. And then Clef is like, "Oh, you, you, you got to be on this song." And, and I remember going back to the the, the guys in Rockets saying, "Well." That group, the Fugees, they're about to go on tour, and they 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 asked me to to come along with them. And James Murdoch, who was one of the owners of Rockus at the time, um, whoa, yeah. And he he looked at me and he says, John, you know, when are you gonna get the opportunity to go on tour again? Go on tour, see how it goes, and if it doesn't work out, you come back here. Okay, so you're with the Fugees, they're smash success. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to slow down. Then you, Good here's nominated. what I know. Then you have your own album. It right. is not a smash success. It is not a smash It's um, a brick. It's, it's a brick. <laughs> it's a brick. And you know, you know what a brick is in the hood. It's when you throw a brick up at the back of backboard. There's no rim, no net. It's bong. It's just, might as well just be. Did you like that solo album? Like, did you go like, I really love it, and no matter what, or was it like, ah, it's not what I want to do anyway. I don't like, know if anyone's sucks. ever asked me if I like Poli Sci, my, my debut album. It felt apropos for that for the time and the space, right? Like I was young, I was really, really feeling myself. Mm -hmm. I was I was feeling um, entitled. Mm -hmm. um, I was feeling uh, I was feeling like the center, right? The center, but not just my center. Yeah, oh, I was everybody's center. Right. And, and you were probably being treated that way. 100%. So you didn't make that up. Handled and, like, and, yeah, and, and yeah. groomed and, yeah. and, and, and um, you know, cared for in, in that way. And um, so that album was really perfect mm. for 
me in that time and space. It's, it's, it used to be incredibly difficult for me to listen to that album uh, in, you know, call it, you know, the, the last decade or so. Right, but right. that's but that sense dissipated because I can. I don't want to ever separate m- myself from myself. Right. And so that was me who made that. I can't behave and be like, oh, no. But would I play that album for my daughter? Yeah, but when she's old enough and I can explain the nuances of why I made that music. Right, right, right. I didn't make that album for me. You know, I made that album thinking this is going to be my club hit and we're going to break this album or we're going to break this song in you know new york and la and so i was making it with a strategy in mind like you're an a&r guy you know that head yes exactly so i'm being really professional and thinking that way but really putting the cart before the horse and not caring about the art Mm -hmm. um but I also don't know if I knew how to care about the art. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my connection to my artistry was as profound. I, but I do know it was not right. as profound. Well, how old were you, dude? I, I was 19. I was 20. I was 21. Yeah. You know? I mean, so yeah, pretty young. Yeah, pretty young. And 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 learning learning my voice, learning how to use my voice, learning yeah. how to um, appreciate others, which I which I didn't which I didn't know at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of difficult to be a producer or to be a collaborator if you're unwilling to yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to to get to step outside of 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 your center of, of of yourself. Knowing you know not knowing a ton of like music history about like hip hop and rap, but this being the center and rapping about yourself is a huge part of it, right? Even yes. if you then yes. spoof it, whatever, but yeah. it's like, here's who I am, I'm so great, you're not so mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's like, okay, like there's mm-hmm. John Forte at 21 years old, sure. being right in the zeitgeist, you know, a little disconnected from himself, or not even knowing himself, like I didn't either when I was 21. So you have this brick, mm-hmm. And then you get busted for drugs in the New York airport. Like, so then yeah. you were, so then what, what, how did you get to the New York airport? And um, so you thought that that was the best idea? No, I'm just kidding. No. I mean, well, well, yes. At the time I, at, at the time I, I was, I, I was, um, I was in it, you know, I, I was, you were I was in the com- whole thing. I was committed. Yeah. Um, and that came after being dropped from the label. Um, oh, dang. From one, from one. Okay. Yeah, I it, had, was I had, it was a brick. It was a brick. And 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 just to you know, I I I like to I like to um, to quantify it now. It's it's like talking about spending money in the '80s and then adjusting it for inflation in 2020. But we sold millions of of, of albums with the Fugees. In fact, that you see the little plaque over yeah. there collecting the millions. And so when my album came out, it was. Um, a hundred thousand copies worldwide by today's standard. It's like wow, a hundred thousand people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like physically went out and I connected. John Forte connected at the age of nineteen with a hundred thousand people. Yeah. Some family, some friends, but a lot of people I just didn't know. Yeah. I felt like I should have connected with nine million nine hundred thousand yeah. people. And Sony never came to me and said, you know, John, this was a brick. Mm. Or in those words, I went to them and said, this was a brick. And you failed me. Mm. And they, oh, really? All right, peace. 
Mm. And so that's how I got, it wasn't, it wasn't that they were so disappointed in me that they wouldn't have given me another shot. So what was that conversation when you said you failed me, you, you failed me and supported every, every, me? Or? Everyone failed me. Management failed me. Um, oh, yeah, uh, okay. uh, uh, right. my, my, um, everyone failed me. So yeah. I was doing this, doing this, doing yeah, this, yeah, but yeah. I never, I never thought that I could, I never thought in that scenario that I right. dropped the ball. Right. That, that <laughs> so you sort of incited the conversation Correct. when they dropped you, and Correct. then they dropped you, right? Correct. In, in fact, I'm pretty sure that I requested it. It was, uh, mm. it was. Mm -hmm. right. I was done with them. They were done with me, and I said, "Well, fine. That's wonderful. Mm. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go get it. I'm gonna go get it. Yeah. I'm gonna find a way. Yeah. The universe, the universe uh, conspires to help the dreamer. I think Paulo Coelho said that, I, mm. right? Something like that. And so that coincided with me meeting um, a guy who uh, had a, a, an organization, an operation, uh, and he invited me mm. to be a middleman in that, um, to go into my network and to procure couriers. Uh, to move whatever needed to be moved, and that included money and drugs. But it was it, it was also I was using I was using that to go in the studio. This was going to be right. my, 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 my vehicle. Yeah. It wasn't about it wasn't about me deciding to say, all right, well, uh, you know, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna try this on. But I still wanted to. Yeah. I, I still wanted. You were the same guy. You just needed yeah, support I, and yeah money. and money. Yeah. And money. And so. It was a means to an end. Right. Um, and that, you know, that house of cards fell. Stick around. We'll be right back. This episode of The Challengers is brought to you by the Amazon original series, Tell Me Your Secrets. What if you thought you killed someone, but you couldn't remember? In this psychological thriller, Emma, the girlfriend of a serial killer, is trying to figure out what role she played in the disappearance of a missing girl, Teresa. Teresa's mother, Mary, which is the character I play, is obsessed with tracking Emma down and finding answers. Mary even hires a serial predator to hunt for Emma, because what wouldn't the mother do to find her daughter? Am I right? This show is full of twists and turns, and you're constantly questioning whether a character is the victim or the villain. You don't want to miss this highly addictive thriller. From the executive producer of The Undoing and Big Little Lies, watch Tell Me Your Secrets, premiering February 19th on Amazon Prime Video. Coming up in today's episode, John breaks down the events of his arrest, the ensuing trial that took place in Texas, and his charges. I just am always so interested, and this is, it's like the moment where it's like, because what I'm interested in, especially with artists and heady people and thoughtful people, like I, I'm privileged to be talking to, it's like the moment where it's like, oh, this is really happening. This is happening to me. Like, was it that moment when you're busted in the New York airport? Like, oh, this is, okay. This is one of my time, worst. Time slowed down. Time slows down, right. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, very, very slow. It almost stood still. Surreal. Absolutely surreal. 
palpable to this day. Just, just the, the memory, you know, so real. And then, and then you get whisked away into the system of the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, 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 I go to trial um, in Houston, Texas. Why? That's where the oh, okay. yeah, that's where the the, the couriers were uh, were apprehended. So they had busted the whole deal. No, they busted the couriers. They busted the couriers. The, okay. the two couriers that I introduced into into the network, but the only person they knew was me. Right. So they didn't know the guy who invited me into in, into the organization. And the only reason to this day why I speak about that guy is because that guy was busted on an unrelated charge. And when they when they and when they apprehended him, he said, well, I'll give you my partner, John Forte. You guys got him. So right when these four. OK. Yeah. So what I'm charged with was 14 kilograms. When, when the 14 kilograms um, don't make it to where they were supposed to make it. He's got uh, he's got to make other moves. So right. when, when when he made moves uh, on his own and he was busted got on it. something unrelated, he gave them me. So I've got the couriers who say John Forte brought me, in, and then I've got the kingpin. Oh, got it. Agreeing to testify against me. Right. So they all testified against me in Houston, Texas. Right. Um, right. Which led to me getting uh, 168 months in federal prison, 14 right. years, and. Um, and did you have, I mean, because you were a famous person at that point, did you have a good lawyer? Did you have people like trying to fight for you? Or? I had all that. I had a great lawyer. I, I think about him often. I wonder how he's doing. I hope he's doing well. Um, radic a, a radically honest man. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that's, that's how he, 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 he struck me. Um, he named his children some great names, and I think about those names as, as, as I'm getting ready to <laughs> have another baby. Have another baby. <laughs> like, oh, I wonder. If we and could... how did you? Mm. Were you was the trial in Houston? That, the, the trial was in Houston. The trial was in Houston. And what's the whole? Uh, how long does it take from from Newark to going? Okay, 168 months. Like, what's a year? A year. a year. A year. About a year. I, I, and so I, you're in jail. Uh, for... Well, I was I, I was in I was in some, I, I did some county jail time initially, um, where I had to wait. You know, apprehended. And did people airport. recognize you? Like, oh my oh, god, people knew who I was. I, I, we're in the county jail, my, and it's it's local news. And John Forte. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, hell, like that, awkward. Right. <laughs> Another milk, please. Uh, so. You know, not, not, <laughs> um, what was your story? What was your defense? What was your my defense was that um, that uh, I thought that the couriers were transporting money, which is what they were okay. initially um, supposed to go down to to transport. Okay, um, they were supposed to go pick up money, right? Which is still a crime. So right. I was I was admitting to a, a lesser crime, right? Um, but the money was not there. They had the choice to come home or um, transport something else and they transported something else oh, which happened to be um, the 14 kilos yeah okay got yeah. it okay so yeah. your your defense was like you were not expecting this to be in the it was ignorant in the satchel it was it, it was it, it was ignorance it was ignorance um and the, the prosecution was willful blindness is not an acceptable defense right and I was uh, charged with conspiracy, which was the larger offense. 
and and then I was I was also charged with possession with intent to distribute, which um, which might be you know, the lesser or, right. or perceived as the, the the lesser of two. And even though I never physically possessed the drugs, the fact that I had conversations with the couriers um, gave me constructive possession. Right. Um, and, and and still showed in 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 exp or in ownership. Uh, an interest, expectation in what was being transported, so it connected me right. um, to to the drugs. When the jury deliberated, they were initially deadlocked, mm. and then the judge issued an Allen charge, which was, which which says, "Hey, you know, you've got a, a, a duty and a responsibility to as jurors to deliver a verdict." So you know, it's a more than a gentle nudge from the from the judge to to. To try do again. your job, right. right? To try again, and so <laughs> they came back in twenty-two minutes or something like that, with a with a, with a, a split verdict, and it was not guilty of conspiracy, which is what I heard first, and then guilty of possession. Um, so it was a compromised verdict. So if you had been guilty of conspiracy, that would have been a longer sentence. Theoretically, right? Yeah, right, because it gives me it gives me more. Um, more skin in the game. Right. Yeah. So, so in other conversations I've had for mm -hmm. this podcast deal, one question I ask, like my friend, my friend who has a child with cerebral palsy, it's like, did you know, did you know anybody, you know, that was disabled growing up? Like, where did this particular challenge that you're experiencing figure in? So did you know people that have been incarcerated? Did you have feelings about it? Did you have fear of it? Did you have like, uh, that's the worst thing or I can survive it? Or like, where did the challenge of being incarcerated fit into your, was it totally foreign? Was it like, I, I've done, I've, I've worked so hard to avoid it or I'm going to survive it. I know people who've survived it. I think it was a gumbo of all of that, <laughs> right? Because right? Right. I, I, I was never removed from it being a person of color, a, a man uh, in America, right? Where right. when I was a kid, one in four, of us were predicted to go through the, the the system. Now, as an adult, it's one in three. So, I was very very familiar with how the system affected uh, our communities. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I when I joined that club, when I joined that that statistical club, um, that was that was the real world. That was heavy. Up next, John talks about the hard-fought appeals process for his case and how, in prison, he decided to make every day count, including the need to find community behind bars. So you, your ego took a hit. Mm. <laughs> I mean, where, where'd you go? Where'd you go? What'd you do with your time? What happened? Do we, we don't even have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Initially, it was fight, fight, fight. It was, you know, appeal and... and. I was wrong. This is a wrong decision. Ish, right? Right, ish. Like, right. ish. Yeah. You know, um, looking for, looking for, 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 for some, some, some type of hope. Um, so, I appealed. We appealed. And I remember the conversation with my then-girlfriend um, at the time when I, I, I lost my 
my last appeal. And, and there was silence and she was crying and she said, did you hear me? And I said, yeah, I heard you. you know, I'm on a phone line. They're, 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 I'm on a phone surrounded by people who are also going through their day. They're all getting and, and, and giving news. It's like, yeah. I might as well have a cold. Yeah. I still, I still, I still, I still got it. I'm still here. Yeah. Right? Like n me breaking down at this at, at, will do nothing. I just knew that. Um, but it was so heavy that I was, I, I was, I was paralyzed. You know, said punch in the gut, but then I, you get back up and you, okay, well, I'm still here. I'm still breathing. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a different determination. It gave me a determination, well, if I wasn't going to fight for my early exit, I was going to make every day count for something. At the time, I couldn't run around a, a, a track. Mm. And one of the older guys inside, he gave me a jump rope. Because you were out of shape. You literally couldn't run, run. You're, okay, yeah. I spent, my, I spent my early years, like, even on tour, drinking, um, smoking cigarettes. Right. Uh, I, was, I was not well. I was just and not good to myself. Right. right. And going on tour, eating fast food, and we're young. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're partying. So I had to get myself together. Um, and it was probably, you know, call it a year and a half two years into, into being away that I took that first run around the, the, the track and then picked up the jump rope and, and then uh, I, I was always reading. Um, that was my great escape. But what I began reading became more focused and um, more critical. I, I just dove deeper into in, into into the books, and and all of this was happening while I was being transferred from facilities to facilities. So it's very very hard to establish a routine or to program, which is what you know, which is the ideal way to do time because there are things that you can count on. There. Uh, Why were you being transferred? What well, through the seven years of of, of of my time away, I was probably in. There are stages of it, right? There's the first stage, which is pretrial. So I'm in the Houston FDC, uh, Federal Detention Center, um, going back and forth to court, waiting to be sentenced because I, I was found guilty, but then immediately remanded and had to wait, call it, you know, two months to get sentenced. Then after that, I had to be designated to a facility that was within 500 land miles of my listed home address or, 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 you know, with the Bureau of Prisons, which was my mom's address in New Jersey. So, kind of like choosing what prep school or college. You I was like, well, <laughs> let's choose what what federal prison you're gonna you're gonna go to. So you're looking at what 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 federal. And you have a say. Had to, a, well, yes. Yeah. And wow. so when I went to my sentencing, I, I I requested three prisons. It was Otisville and Allenwood, and then my third was was Loretto. And Otisville and Allenwood were both unavailable, and I went to Loretto in Western Pennsylvania, which used to be, coincident uh, or, or yeah, coincidentally, uh, a monastery. Mm. And so that's that's what one hundred percent attracted me to it. I was like, well, it had yeah. good vibes at one point, right. so right, right, <laughs> it wasn't built for this, right? Yeah. It wasn't right. it wasn't built for this, right? And so the fact that it wasn't built for this, I said, well, maybe there's some 
Maybe there's some forgiveness here. Right. Right. Maybe there's some forgiveness in this architecture rather than going to a place that is designed, designed to keep to you away. And, um, yeah. and so I, but, but, but to get from the Houston, uh, Houston FDC to Loretto, you had to go through transit. So that took me through Oklahoma, United States Penitentiary, Atlanta, United States Penitentiary. Uh, so how long are you <laughs> stopping in the each space or each place? Every time I've been, because I went from, I went from, it was pre-trial in Houston, and then I went to Loretto in Western Pennsylvania, and then once I did more time and I was able to qualify for a lower security facility, um, I went to Fort Dix in mm. New Jersey, and that's where, and that's a minimum security facility, and that's where I call it, did, you know, the most of my time, maybe mm. four years or three, three and a half years there, maybe three and a half, two, two and a half, and then nearly one down there. Um, but in order to get from Houston to Loretto or from Loretto to the FD, to, um, to Fort Dix, you had to you had to go in transit so you know you were exposed to just different systems different people because that's what what um a couple of things you said one is that moment because i feel like you know that moment where it's like it's almost quiet where it's like oh this is real like the 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 combination you know we're we're busy people we're proactive people if there's a challenge we want to have it. and then like that moment when your girlfriend told you it's like shh I had in between our two kids, I had a miscarriage and it was like, oh, this or that. Da, da, da. And then it was like, I remember being, it's like, there's no heartbeat. It's like, Whew. so it's so interesting. It's almost like you, you bow down. It's like, this is bigger than me and I can't figure it out. I mean, the other thing that it's funny before you were talking about the transit thing. And I think, as you said, that thing about um, an older guy giving you the jump rope. I mean, one thing that is also an interesting theme, although it doesn't necessarily have to be, but is, you know, this something happens and we are isolated from from who we were or, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, and then, but then it's like, well, who who's in this new community? Like, did you make relationships ultimately either at Fort Dix or were there? Of course, I had to. You had to. You I had, had to. to. You had uh, to. You don't... You literally don't survive. We're, I think. we're adaptive beings, yeah. right? There, you know, you go in and you're like, "Oh my God, I can't do this," and then, well, yeah, you, you do it, right? Right? right. <laughs> you do it. Fucking do it. <laughs> right? Everybody else is doing it. You fucking do it too, or else, like you do it. And in any community, right? There's and that's like community. the losers, or there's the people that are Facts. cool, and like, like that's it, yeah. community. Like right. communities do, right? And so you go into any community, and what are you guys doing? Oh, you you you're doing. Oh. <laughs> Alright. So you're doing something and you either figure it out or you become that guy, like alienated or yeah. and, and so that wasn't that wasn't something I, I no. Right. No. It's really tempting, really, really tempting to think of what we don't know as the worst. So when we talk about prison, like, yeah, prison fucking sucked. I want to be very clear. Prison sucked. But there were some decent souls, some bright, compassionate human beings on 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 all sides, whether they were 
you know, the, 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 the guys that I was, I was going through the system with or some compassionate COs that, 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 that you might mm-hmm. meet who are, who are admittedly fewer and, and, and far, far less uh, that you just because you, you don't cultivate those relationships, right? But you do cultivate relationships. At, at least I did. It was criti- It was it was it was mandatory for me to to gravitate towards the light. Um, and and I you know I, I count on some of those men as, as as my best friends to this day. Closing out today's episode, John and I talk about his life now and how prison impacted his art. We also discuss race and discrimination in America. So cut to now. You're like, well, first of all, I want to, I, I do want to, this moment that always moves me. Do you remember you and I on my lawn, like probably four years ago? Do you remember that party we had? And I was showing you around the house. I think about it often. I thought about it this morning. And you were dating somebody that you'd met in a taxi. Who sounded delightful? I actually. did not meet her in a taxi. Okay, I don't know. That was the you know, umbrella. No, 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 no. But anybody who knows me will know exactly the what taxi you're girl. About. Ta- there was the taxi girl summer. <laughs> um, anyway, and I remember walking with you, and you were like, oh, I really want what you and Brad have. And I was like, What do you mean? He's like, Marriage, children. I was like, What? Like at that point, it was like, What? <laughs> You're with married to this amazing woman, have mm-hmm. this beautiful little girl, beautiful life, another child on the way, and so simplistic. But I feel like, again, because I read this thing, you put it so beautifully that the, you know, all you've been through, but incarceration being part of it, like the appreciation and the, like, I get to drink a glass of water in my kitchen and schedule my own day. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, Oh, right. Like, and it's so visceral in you. Like you said, you can call up that moment in New York airport. I'm sure you can call up a million moments in, in prison as well. It's like, do you, and then, and then huge question. Cause I know you were already an artist before you've always been, but like your, uh, artistry, in terms of staying always engaged with social activism and politics, but not in a soapbox in the way that you do. Like, did that get stronger after your experience? Was that already in there? Did it change your art at all? I mean, that was already in place in a way. Although you said with the poli sci thing, you were so young, it wasn't quite. Poli sci really wasn't about that. Although the name of that album to me was my attempt at being transformative right talking about because i spelled it p-o-l-y hyphen s-c-i rather than p-o-l-i it wasn't political science it was the many sciences and for me it was it was marrying this this notion of of being street smart with being academically gifted as well and Mm. and 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 it was my life at least that that i'd experienced at, at that point and being a smart kid but who was also street smart mm. and so um really trying to, to to just speak to that dichotomy which i probably did better in in that synopsis no that, that's not true that's not true because then no that that's me like just shitting on the art there there are there are like two or three songs off that album that that show where i will i will go and mm-hmm. and, and and what i'm capable of and so 
with that, like I'm wholly, wholly proud of of having to you know navigate that, and so I don't shit on the record. I don't, mm. I, you know, yeah, that was me at the time, um, but that was that was me on my journey, and and this is me on my journey. But I will say this: me on my journey now feels to your question, to your point, so it just feels better. It just feels fundamentally better on a cellular level. The decisions that I make, my partnership with my wife, the life that we've created, the, the community that we have, that marrying into the to, to, to the fact that there's still work to be done. Right? There's always there's always work to to do. Like me being a ma a brown man in North America, in America, you, you're born into this. Yeah. So. Case in point, this interview is being conducted on Martha's Vineyard right now. I don't know, call it two weeks ago, I was running out of the house. I ran back and my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I have to grab my wallet. She said, you're so good about that. And I was like, oh, I don't have a choice to be, it's not about me being good about mm. this. I'm a brown man in America, mm. whether I'm on Martha's Vineyard or whether I'm in Brooklyn. So this is what I feel like mm. I like in a post 9-11 era like I need to have identification on me like, I don't have the mm -hmm. the carefree spirit to be like oh I don't have my license mm. yeah like like no like I, so that's always been a, a, a reality for me now we're finding a way to live our 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 most profound life as a family and a community and still effectuate change when we can, how we can, where we can. And that's when we sing these songs, whether it's recording them, or whether it's in public, or whether it's showing up to listen, to support others, um, to check in, to be a part of the larger conversation in a larger community. Yeah, that's, that's, that's reality, always. So beautiful. And it's also like just listening to your songs, some of which I recognize a little bit from, from when you've sung them live it's it's also obviously love as like this bedrock for you it, it's it's and maybe again this is who you are maybe it's the age you know that you are I certainly feel this way being my age it's like oh it's both bigger and smaller you know it's 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 bigger because I mean I I always say like I look back at myself Four years ago before Trump was elected, it's like I was just plain naive. I was just plain naive at the level of chauvinism and patriarchy, certainly at the levels of racism, you know, you probably were less naive, I'm sure you were. Like I was like, holy shit, like I really thought we could go from that guy to that woman. Like and now I I find myself saying to my kids, because I have to choose a positive spin, which I do believe it's like, this is a reckoning, you know, this is stuff like, you know, we're talking about race. This was a number of years ago when my son was younger, but he was like, I thought Rosa Parks fixed that. I was like, well, I was like, you know, certain things, it is better than it was. Mm. But, you know, uh, like Brian Stevenson, Equal Justice Initiative, when he came to our church and, you know, he talks about slavery evolving, you know, and that amazing documentary that, you know, the 13th that Ava made. Anyway, point being, it's like, okay, the, it's systemically worse. <laughs> and yet, my, me on the planet as an artist and as a human, it's just 
kindness, you know, to actually the challenge of not becoming that which I loathe, you know, not in the in the in response to hatred, just being so filled with frustration and hatred is it's like, oh, my God, it's fucking Dr. King. You know what I mean? It's somebody screaming at you and you don't scream back like that is transformative, you know. Well, I think, you know, you used to talk about reading. You talk about reading a lot in 2020. The fact that you can pry yourself away from the screen long enough and to, to quiet the, the noise. I think that that's radically transformative. Um, well, and it's funny too, man, the screen mm. thing. I mean, I, you know, like as we all do think about it all the time, it's like mm. the good things and the bad things, you know? Yeah. You know, the fact that we're in touch with each other and that somebody in distress can like get a little smoke signal. It's like, that's cool. Like, that's cool. And building community. Um, but I feel like the, the nature of this, it, it, the, we have some big problems. We need longer thoughts environmentally. We just need to think long and hard. And, and the, it's like I said to Brad, it's like, oh, I think I'm giving myself um, uh, ADD. Like, I'm not an ADD person, but I can literally induce it. I just got, you know, like, yes. and so I'm not reading the article. I'm getting these, I mean, I'm doing exactly what it's designed to do. I'm getting the little adrenaline hits and mm -hmm. getting all upset. And it's like, oh, that's a bot. I'm, ah, you know? mm -hmm. And, um, and it's funny, like the last week being here, I mean, I just need to be in nature more. I need to all that <laughs> stuff. But it's also like, how do you, you know, and I think all of your work, there's, there's this bedrock of joy. You know, I don't know all your stuff, but there's, there's a, you have an ability to stay engaged and be critical and be forthright and keep an open heart, which I think is really rare and rare for men. I don't think you guys are trained to do that as much. I mean, in the same way that maybe women That's historically right. were not trained to speak our minds, you are not trained to keep an open heart and know that I can have an open heart and be a strong person. It's not a sign of weakness. So I don't know where you get that from. You might have always had it, but mm, maybe. Hopefully, I hope I did, but I don't think I acted. I know I didn't. I know I didn't act from a love-based place um, for the majority of, um, you know, call it my younger years. Now I feel maybe there is a complacency now in my in my older years. Or a joy, um, yeah. But but uh, but it doesn't it doesn't blind me from the suffering of others and the reality that there are different realities. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Challengers. You can find John on Instagram and Twitter at John underscore Forte. And on Facebook, just search John Forte. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Challengers with Amy Brenneman. That's me. You can keep in touch with me on socials at Amy Brenneman on Twitter and Instagram. And you can like my page on Facebook. Just search for Amy Brenneman. Last but not least, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon for a brand new episode.